guys all look good. We're, we're going to uh, continue here in Titus chapter 3 uh, is where we're going to uh, land tonight. And in Titus chapter 2, it was a, a chapter where Paul is instructing um, a young pastor, Titus, on uh, the roles of people in the church. And he says, older, older men, uh, you should do this. And in chapter 2, he goes through this list and then... And then he talks about older women. What makes someone old? You can decide where you fit in that mold, okay? That's up to you. If, if, if the shoe fits, just put it on. There's no use fighting it, right? Um, but I think there's something very biblical about uh, Titus chapter 2 in that the older generation, he's instructing them to be mentors to the younger generation, and I, I believe that there is uh, definitely some strength in doing that. And I think as, as the church, it's something that we have gotten away from. And I think it's important um, if you have young kids or you, uh, maybe you're older in age and a little bit more uh, wise, maybe you got a little bit more gray up here, um, you know, you have some life lessons that you can pour into someone that's younger than you. And uh, and uh, so don't take that lightly. And uh, so, but uh, we're going to look at Titus chapter three. And my goal last last time I spoke was to get through Titus chapter two and three. I did not do that. So we'll finish here on on uh, Titus chapter three. And if you if you need a subheading here at the beginning of this, and um, the first uh, Titus, the whole theme of the book is good works. Everyone say good works. Uh, Timothy, when when pa uh, when Paul is writing Timothy, it is about when he writes to him, he's talking about sound doctrine. Here to Titus, young pastor Titus, he's talking about good works, and he's he's the pastor at the island of Crete, which is an island of about 165 miles uh, wide and or 30 miles wide and 165 miles long. So and uh, and so he's got his hands full. So uh, Titus uh, chapter three. And, and the first heading is be ready for every good work. If you're a note taker, you can write this down. Be ready for every good work. Uh, Titus chapter 3. Now, we're, I like Paul because Paul kind of comes out of the gate hard. So we're going we're gonna to touch on a very, a very tough subject up front. Everyone look at your neighbor say, buckle up. All right, good. Uh, uh, 3 says this. 3-1 says this. Re remind them to be submissive. To rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. All right, we'll start right there. Um, we are to be people who live under authority, right? We have, we have governments for reason, to have structure, to help us to live in, as a society together, to govern together. So, uh, you know, some of you may ask, why is this here? Why would why would Paul start this third chapter? He's already talked about in the second chapter about hey, this is the older older men's role. This is the older women's role. Here's the here's the servants' roles, and this is what you're supposed to do. So why is this here? But if you remember concerning the Cretans, they were not uh, submissive or obedient people. When Titus went there, they they were a mess. Um, they didn't like authority. In their community, and the Cretans lacked virtue as a people in general. And uh, oftentimes, when you go to anybody ever been to a third world country, um, 
Anybody been overseas to a third world country? All right. Uh, sometimes there's just an error when you go to, a, to another country. If you're, if you're American, you've always lived and been here in America, you go to another country, there's an error. And, and sometimes there seems to be a lack of, of virtue or a lack of, of things and, and things that maybe we take for granted here in America. How many know we're blessed here in America? Whether you like it or don't like it, you're blessed here in America. I, I promise you that. Uh, matter of fact, the Cretans were so bad, their own philosopher even said this. And, and you can go back to uh, chapter 1, verse 12. He said he calls the Cretans liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Doesn't, like, doesn't speak too highly of, of the people of his own island. And that's not a very good track record. And these people uh, must have been a pain to govern and to deal with. How many uh, at your job sometimes have people that are a pain and trouble to deal with? You don't have to raise your hand. You can just kind of nod at me like this, all right? Um, that happens from time to time. And uh, rulers and authorities here is, is not the same as rulers and authorities mentioned in Ephesians. When, when he's talking about rulers and author, uh, 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 authorities in Ephesians, we are talking about good and evil angels or demons. And here, it's actually talking about civil leaders and institutions. Now it's going to get touchy, all right? Everyone say, buckle up. Here we go. Um, that can be this. Here, here's what this list could include. Your police, your city officials, your county officials, the governor of your state, your senators, your representatives, and the president, your Supreme Court nominees and, and, and Supreme Court justices. And so these are all people. Now, here's the issue with a lot of us. Uh, oftentimes, we want to disagree with those in authority over us, uh, oftentimes, because we disagree with them politically, right? And sometimes our political views overtake our view of what what we should be gov what we should be grounded in the word of God and, and in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And walking this now some of you are looking at me like, okay, I'm just waiting on you here, TJ. Um, if you talk more about your president than you pray for your president, then you miss the point. If you talk more about your civic civil uh, uh, leaders in your community more than you pray for them, you've missed the point. And the key as believers are is this. We should sub be submissive, pray for them. Are they always right? No. I don't care if you're red, blue, purple, green, whatever political view you want to hold. It doesn't matter. Your leaders are not always right. Um, you say this, well, I didn't vote for them, so I, I don't have to listen to them. No, no, no. To live peacefully and doesn't mean that you have to agree with how things are being run. That This means that we ought to love each other with the love of Christ, one another. Now, as a pastor, there are plenty of things to be divisive over right now. I could name a few. I'm not going to name a few. And we could all get in our corners and, and just stare at each other, right? <clears throat> Matter of fact, I was thinking about this this week when I was in California. I went to a couple of, uh, uh, had some lunches with, with a couple of friends and, and went and saw some people. And I got, I, w I was telling someone about this today. I got irritated because every time I sat down to have dinner with someone, the topic that led all of our discussions was COVID. 
And I remember sitting there, and I remember thinking, I hate this. I, in my mind, I was thinking that. I, you know, I was trying to be respectful at many times, but I, I kept thinking, I don't care about COVID right now. I care about you. I want to know what's going on in your world. I want to talk to you and have, have this. But, but here's the thing, you know, it's, it's, COVID's kind of been like a magnifying glass that has divided who we really are and how we really are. And, and, and here's the thing, and this, you need to understand this about me. I respect and I love everyone. And you can have differing views than me, and I'll still love and respect you. And as the people of God, we should lead that way. We have to. Matter of fact, the world's watching us right now, and there are many divisive people and ministers and churches right now who are causing more division than they are drawing people to Christ. And we have to be really careful what we do and how we say and what we do. And, and um, we may not agree on all things regarding uh, COVID, politics, or social issues facing our country, but uh, I still can talk to you in respect as a person. And I think sometimes that's been a lost art that we've that we have. I mean, honestly, I I think our my grandparents' generation and their parents' generation had it better. They they didn't even have to be on the same side of the aisle, but they they agreed on a lot of things. You know what? We want what's best for our country, and and we want to do what's good for people, right? So, but as the church, we can agree on this: on on Christ's love, God's grace. The peace of Jesus Christ in our hearts and in our lives. And there are other things, but, but here's what the enemy does. And, and the enemy comes in and he puts these things in front of us. And we feel like that we have to make a decision on this or that. And, and then it becomes a distraction between my relationship and your relationship when the main thing is Jesus Christ. That's the main thing. And when we're distracted by these little things... Oftentimes, these little things get in our way. When we're distracted by these things and we're more worried about getting our political view of, across rather than the love of Jesus across, it's just a mere distraction. And I just want to give, I just want to encourage you, keep the main thing the main thing. What's the main thing? Jesus Christ. Keep the main thing the main thing. And, and listen, you can have your political views and you can have your opinions on this or that, and that's okay. And, and there's nothing wrong with those opinions, but I, I want to encourage you, keep the main thing the main thing. Make sure Jesus Christ and loving Jesus Christ is the forefront of what you do and all that you do. Um, a matter of fact, it's, this is interesting to me because if you look back at Paul's writing in Titus chapter 1, verses 12 through 16, um, he's actually speaking of false teachers here, and he says this in verse 12. says, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, and this is the, the, the philosopher that I quoted earlier, Cretans are always liars, they're evil beasts, and they're lazy gluttons. Uh, verse 13, this testimony is true, therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. Verse 14, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. Verse 15, to the pure all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their conscience are defiled. Verse 16, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. What is the theme of Titus? Good works. So if someone is, is uh, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works, or they are detestable, or they're disobedient to to 
to the word of God, they are unfit for any good work, according to Paul's writing here to Titus. So look at this. So here are the Cretans. How the Cretans? Cretans. It almost sounds like aliens, really. So here are the Cretans. This sounds like something off of Star Trek to me. And, and, and they were liars and evil in civil life as well as church life. Not this. They were so bad that even in the church they were liars and they were dishonest. And Paul is warning Titus to this. This is what he's saying. He said, Titus, preach to them. Live peacefully with civil leaders and their neighbors. And notice that, that he doesn't say you have to agree with them. He just says live peacefully with them. Doesn't say you have to agree with them. And Paul says, says this type of life would reflect positively on the Christian's faith and thus glorify God. How many want to glorify God? That's what I want to do. Uh, I tell you what, uh, I know this, we're up taking a little bit of time here, but I, I think there's some good instruction here for all of us at this time. <laughs> uh, and I want my life to reflect and glorify God. And all that I do and all that I say, may Jesus' name be lifted up. Not my political affiliation. Not, not my, my belief in this or that right now, but may Jesus' name be lifted up through it all. Amen. How many agree with me on that? Amen. Verse 2 says this. Everyone go, Whew, I'm glad that's over. Verse 2 says this. Uh, to speak evil of no one. Ah, you guys thought you were going to get a break. Now it just gets a little bit harder. Um, I don't know about you. I, I'm constantly working on this one. Anybody perfect at this one? I, I'm not. And I've failed a, a time or two in my life and, and more times than I even want to admit. I remember one time when I was younger. I was a teenager. And I was, I was a little bit jealous of some opportunities that had been given to uh, one of my cousins at, at a camp. And I felt like that I was qualified to, to do the things that, that my cousin was doing. And I felt uh, overlooked in my own mind. Anybody ever ever been that way? I can raise my hand. I can admit it. All right. And uh, in all my humility, what did I do? One night after service with a group of my friends. And you got to be careful who your friends are. Because if they don't shut you down when you start talking about people, you, you, you might want to find some new friends, right? And, and, and uh, so here I am at, at a table with a group of my friends, and I begin to just talk bad about my own cousin. And I did. I'll, I'll admit it. I was wrong. And while I'm doing this, and I'm talking bad about this person, the, one of my friends sitting across from me looked at me, and their eyes got really big, like, you better shut up. You better shut up. You know what I'm talking about? And I'm sitting there, and I'm just going on and on and on and on. And they're like, stop, stop. Like, I could see it. I'm like, what? Is he behind me right now? Like, I was just so arrogant and <laughs> caught up in the moment. And what did I do? I looked behind me. He wasn't behind me. And then I looked around the table, and guess what? My cousin's sister was sitting at the exact same table with me. I never felt so dumb. I never so felt so little. And I just failed to honor him because of my own jealousy and my own haughtiness, my own pride in my own life you know what I had to go and apologize to him because I was wrong speak no no speak evil of no one right and uh, I don't know about you but I find it it's easy to talk about someone 
to belittle them, to talk them down, to lift yourself up. That's when it's easy, easiest to talk about someone, when, when it makes you feel, when it elevates you. And this includes your coworkers, oh, your boss, oh, your government leaders, and this goes on and on. This even includes yourself at times. Um, speak evil of no one, right? How many of you have spoke evil of yourself? Oh, you're no good. You're new. Anybody ever done that? Walked off in a fit and, and said, you know, just in your mind. Proverbs 18.21 says this, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Hmm. You could speak life or you could speak death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. So when you speak death and you love to talk about people, you're just going to be like, ah, 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 ah. right? But when you speak life about someone and you know it's life-giving, and that's what you're all about. You're going to enjoy that fruit. You know what? I'm a, we're going to lift that person up. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna talk good about them. And, and, and let me ask you this. What kind of fruit do you love to eat? Is it life-giving fruit or is it death? I think that's a good evaluation. That, that, kind, uh, that kind that is life-giving and or the kind that is speaking death. So here's the results of not speaking um, of of not speaking evil of no one. So this is it. This is why we don't speak evil of no one. Number one, to avoid quarreling. Oh, some of you have drama because you need to just close your mouth. <laughs> to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, Hated by others and hating one another. So the end of this uh, of this verse is the result of speaking evil of people, and it it causes quarrels. And boy, does it cause quarrels! Anybody ever gotten a fight with your sibling? Talking bad about your sibling or talking bad about your cousin? And Paul provides. Um, Instead of, uh, well, I'll get there in a minute. Instead, be gentle and give courtesy and grace towards all people, even those who don't deserve it. Even your waiter or waitress who don't deserve it. Uh, you know, um, it's kind of Prudencio, which he's sitting up here in the corner. He came all the way from California to come visit with us, and he's a young man that um, I've been able to kind of mentor and uh, I'm glad he's here. He just graduated from uh, UTI, and um, he's got a bright future ahead of him. And so he had a little bit of downtime between starting his new job and graduation. He said, I'm going to come see you. And I said, come on. And so he's been hanging out with us this week. And um, he was so gracious the other day because he got on, on the flight with us, and he was sitting by himself, and he was sitting next to a man. And this man got a, a cup of coffee and this man spilt his hot cup of coffee right in Prudencio's lap. And I don't know, if it would have been me, I don't think I would have been as nice as Prudencio was to this man. But he gave him grace. I think he might have went, ah! No, I don't know. I probably would have. And the guy was just like, oh, sorry. You know, I've been like, uh, I'm so sorry. I just spilt that hot coffee in your lap. But 
But he gave him grace when that guy probably didn't deserve grace. Most of us probably would have been in that guy's ear for the rest of that flight. You're going to buy me a new pair of pants. And you're going to take care of my doctor bills. And you're going to, you know, whatever the case. But he gave, he gave him grace. And sometimes when people don't deserve grace, we've been called to give grace. And Paul provides another motive for good works in verse 3. He explains that the rationale for the Christian life is this. Believers all are to treat others the way that Christ treated us with grace. And I don't know, when I'm reminded of that, I don't deserve to be where I'm at. And I don't deserve to have God's love and mercy over me. And none of you do either. So when I look through that lens and I look at people that have done me wrong, it changes my whole perspective on how I ought to respond to people. Um, when uh, When I was involved in ungodly activities, how many remember when you were involved in ungodly activities that God still loved you? When you were at your worst, God still loved you. I don't know about you. That that gets my juices flowing. I, I get pumped when I start thinking about that. Romans 5.8 says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Man, God's so good to us. <laughs> And we don't deserve his grace. He's so good at us. And this helps me to stay grounded as a, as a pastor and as a person and as a believer in Christ and helps me to keep the right perspective toward others at all times. Love them because Christ first loved me. And if you need a reference, 1 John 14, 9, there you go. Verse 4 says this, but when the goodness and the loving kindness of God, uh, our Savior, appeared. How many remember the day that you were saved? How many remember the day that God changed your life forever? How many remember um, that moment that you felt like the burden of uh, burdens that you carried were lifted up off of you, and how God saved you? And, and, and it appeared unto us, and it changed us. And that's what God's love does; it changes everything. It changes me. It changes you. It changes us. And so. It says this in verse 5, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, verse 6, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So Paul had been emphasizing good works to a young Titus here, but he here he's reminding him that, that our good works have no value in saving a person. I, you know, I, uh, I've done quite a few funerals, you know, since I've been here. And the one thing that I can tell you is just because you're a good person doesn't mean you got a, a ticket stamped into heaven. And you have to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And I know that that's, that may be tough to swallow for some people. If it was good works alone, you know, we wouldn't even need Jesus. But, but we need Jesus, and so uh, I don't know about you. We, we all still have, uh, it's solely on the grace and the mercy of God towards us. So how many uh, still have fleshly tendencies oftentimes in your life? Sometimes your flesh gets the best of you. Sometimes in traffic, my flesh gets the best of me. Sometimes when they don't go, when the light's green, I'm, I'm wondering if they're waiting on a different shade of green to go or what. 
just being real. I'm, I'm being open and honest right now. I'm not, if you ever see me out in public, just be like, there's Pastor. I see him over there. Mm-hmm. Right? But we all have fleshly tendencies. And, but here's what I know. We've all been washed and renewed, not because of our righteousness, but because of what Jesus did on the cross in our place. Man, what a great reminder. And we are forgiven uh, people. And because we are forgiven people means that we are to forgive others. Oh, I like that, Pastor, Till you said that. I like being forgiven, but don't make me forgive others, right? Um, it's as if Paul is asking, saying, hey, Titus, you must speak truth. You got to tell the congregation, both young and old, how to live. You got to, however, you must do so with great meekness. And what's meekness? Meekness is this, strength under control. I mean, you may have the power to overtake somebody or you may have the strength to, to demand certain things, but Jesus is the ultimate <laughs> meek character because it was strength under control. But, but he would say this, Titus, you must speak truth and you must tell the congregation both young and old how to live. However, you must do so with great meekness, remembering that the Lord washed you, he renewed you and saved you, not by any works of righteousness, righteousness that you did, but according to Jesus' abundant mercy. And the phrase here, washing of, or of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, ref refers to the work of the Holy Spirit. So um, when we're saved, the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And then it's this perpetual process and where, where God has saved us, but he begins to sanctify us and he begins to help us in our daily character and our daily life. As we grow in him, the Holy Spirit should be honing us and helping us not to speak the same things that we spoke before we were saved and not to talk about the same people that we talked about before we were saved, right? It's this process. And in that moment makes a person new by the cleansing of regeneration or new birth, we say. And this new nature is the grounds for uh, living this Christian life and performing good deeds, not the other way around. It's not by good deeds we're saved. But once we're saved, guess what? Our life should be one of abundant good deeds that are coming from us because we love the Lord. It's not the other way around. Good deeds don't save you. Good deeds are a fruit of a new birth and a new life in Christ Jesus. Look at your neighbor and say, hey, you got any good deeds coming out of your life? Said it really quiet. That's all right. Renewing of the Holy Spirit is the continual process of a Christian living enabled by the Holy Spirit, resulting in growth and character and in good works. Verse 7 says this. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And this is an important doctrine here that Paul is in, instructing to, to Titus to do and to keep and to preach. He's saying this, keep, keep everything in perspective, Titus, young Titus, young minister. Remember, one, uh, remember what you once were and how God saved you and how God set you free. And I don't know about you, when I always think about that, I know, I know I've already mentioned that, but when I think back to what I should be, and what God has allowed me to be and where I, where I came from and, and who I am. And, but God still has grace and mercy for me. I, I'm like Paul. Hey, God, your, your, grace, your grace is sufficient. 
each and every day. I don't deserve this. Remember Paul talked about the thorn in his flesh. And he's like, God, I, I, I prayed that this thorn be removed. And he, and he just began to, and, and the Lord spoke to him and said, my grace is sufficient. And his grace is sufficient. And God justifies us that we might become co-heirs with Jesus Christ in the coming reign. And if you need a scriptural reference for that, Romans 8, 17, 2 Timothy 2, 12. Verse 8 says this, the saying, this saying, or the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Did you catch that? If you believe in God, you ought to devote yourself to good works. And these things are excellent and profitable for people. So Paul is emphasizing what is written here through verses 4 through 8, which we already or, or just went through. He's just that he's going through that, reemphasizing. He is labeling his preaching as trustworthy. It's a pretty bold statement right there. Telling you, hey, Titus, my, my, my preaching here, what I'm telling you is trustworthy. And man, I have, to, I have to say, hey, God, help me to be in that, being so in tune with what you're speaking in my life as a pastor that I can say the same thing. God, I pray that my preaching is trustworthy. Amen. And, and his admonishment here is on maintaining good works, the theme of this book. And the reason good works are beneficial is they are excellent and profitable for people. When we do good works, once we're saved and we're doing good things for the kingdom of God and we're building the kingdom of God, when we're taking care of the widows, when we're taking care of the orphans, when we're loving on people who, who may not be uh, lovable at times, when we're dealing with tough situations, when we're showing the light of Christ, we are doing good works. God did not call us to just sit and occupy in a pew. called us to do good works and the um, and the thing is this has nothing to do with our salvation but uh, but a life should that is saved by Jesus Christ should reflect good works remember uh, remember what James said it's it's not you know you're you're it's faith that works that's that's what it is it's so it's not just uh, you know many people they want to believe in Jesus but they don't have any fruit to prove that they're saved but James is saying hey I know I, they'll know you by your fruit they'll know that you're saved by what's coming out of you and I don't know about you but I need that in my life and I need that constant reminder and so I say this to if you're here Bible teachers and parents it's not how much you know that matters it's how well you know what you know. It's not how much you know, but it's how well you know what you know. So how do people get to know these things well? How do we get to know the things of God well? By hearing them over and over and over again. I think back to when I played football. And if I struggled with, with anything in football, and, and, you know, it, my coaches were there giving me a good reminder with a whistle and up-downs if I didn't get it right. But I promise you, by the time I got tired of doing push-ups and up-downs and all that stuff, by the time that I got tired, I finally got it through my thick skull. TJ, this was your assignment on this play. This is what you should have done. Over repetition, hearing it over and over again. Some of you say, oh, I go to church and I hear the same thing over and over again. It's because you need to get it down in your heart so you know it. Amen. And, 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 and so look at your neighbor and say, hey, do you know it? 
And that's why we are here to affirm constantly and remind continually. So here's my, my, my second heading, if you, if you need a heading, is this. Avoid dissension. Avoid dissension. Avoid dissension. Verse 9 says this. Oh, here we go. Everyone say, buckle up. Here we go. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies. And some uh, religions want to major in genealogies to prove this or that, to um, say that, hey, we, we want to know your genealogy so we can know that we can baptize the dead. I won't say the, the, the denomination, the Mormon denomination. Okay, I said it. All right. Um, that's what they're big on genealogy and, and different. And I'm, you know, uh, but. Those things don't matter. Don't get caught up in those and don't get caught up in controversy. Steer clear and keep the main thing the main thing. You heard me say that. It's about Jesus Christ. It's not about who your great, 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 great grandfather was. It's about Jesus Christ. Do you know Jesus Christ? Keep the main thing the main thing. And I can't help but think the church at times we've jumped into foolish controversies. And I'm not not talking about our church in general, but I'm just I'm just talking at times. But uh, when, when we've stood up for things um, which were really not that important for fighting over. And I'm not saying you don't stand for things when they're not right. Wrong is wrong. Right is right. The truth is the truth, whether you like it or don't. If it's wrong, it's, it, and it's wrong, and the Bible says it's wrong, it's wrong. If it's a sin according to this, it's a sin. You, you, you don't have to back up on that. I'm not saying you have to bend on those things. I'm not saying you can't, you can't talk to people about it. Um, but don't get caught up in these divisive things at times because our divisions uh, by denominations and are sometimes keep us from, uh, from uniting with other people. Well, you don't believe exactly like us, so I can't look at you at the grocery store. You go to that church, Right? says this, the next part of, that, part of that verse says this, dissensions and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Some people major in these quarrels about the law, what you should eat, what you should eat on your diet, the Sabbath day, and people want to argue over this and that, but Paul simply tells Titus, avoid them, they're worthless and unprofitable. Verse 10 says this, as, a, as for a person who stirs up division after warning him once, this, this is the measure of correction right here. I want to I point something out. This is, this is how a pastor should deal with a person right here. As, a, as for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Anybody ever heard that? Verse 11, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Pretty strong words. So warn them once, talk to them a second time, but don't continue dialogue with, with those who, who are into heresy. Why? This is why. It's, it's not a harsh, not, here's the thing, this is what happens. As a pastor, you can only deal with people so many times but there's a point where I'll just be wasting my time. Because some people, they just want to argue for the sake of arguing. No other reason, just because they can. My brother growing up. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm, we were equally as bad. Okay. Um, but, but you'll waste your time. You'll spin your wheels. And you'll get nowhere. But here's the thing about when we get into 
arguments and quarrelsome things. The devil knows that. And he knows that about us. And he knows that if we're busy talking and arguing about something, it will keep you from witnessing to your next door neighbor. I'm too busy arguing with this person on the internet right now. Jesus, help us. There are those who spend a ton of time trying to convert heretics. And I've been guilty of that. Sometimes you just got to say, I love them. And Paul says, tell them. Tell them the truth once, tell them a second time, then reject them knowing that, that they condemn themselves. Here's the final heading right here. Final instructions and greetings. Three more verses here. We're going to get done early tonight. I'm, I'm trying to be like Marcus. I'm trying really hard here. All right. Verse 12. When I, when I send uh, Art, Artemis or uh, Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis. For I have decided to spend the winter here. Now, Nicopolis was a was west uh, of the Greek islands, and it sounds like a city that should be in a comic book in my eyes. Nicopolis, right? Uh, it just sounds pretty cool. Nicopolis. I don't know why. Uh, and he says this: Once help arrives for you, come and meet me here in Nicopolis. And so, verse thirteen says this: Do your best to speed uh, Zenus the lawyer. To speed there means to bring. So the only reason I can think Paul needed a lawyer, he was in jail a lot, so he just needed a lawyer handy. So no wonder he asked for a lawyer, right? I don't know. I was trying to think. This may be the only time in Scripture that I've ever heard of anyone asking for a lawyer. So, um, And so he, he says that in verse 13, the second part of this, and Apollos on their way, see that they lack nothing. Apollos was a powerful orator, and he was a, a preacher skilled in speaking and or rhetoric. He was a, a good man. Um, and, you know, in our lives, we need ironing. Iron sharpens iron, right? You need, you need someone in your life, and you need people in your life that are going to sharpen you. That aren't always going to tell you what you want to hear, but tell you what you need to hear. Now, I know that's hard. Sometimes in our lives, we don't always like to hear what we don't want to hear, right? We we want friends that just agree with us all the time. But but that's not the case. We need iron sharpening iron. That means there's going to be sparks sometimes. Right? If you if you take two pieces of iron and we were to sword fight, if me and Dan were up here sword fighting right now, that'd be awesome, right? <laughs> he says so. I think so too. And we were sword fighting, there would be sparks flying, right? Because that's what happens. And I need I need those kind of people in my life. And I begin to think about this this week as I as I was in California, and I saw um, a couple of my mentors there, and and they began to speak into my life there, even in those moments, and they encouraged me, and they blessed me, and they asked me how things were going, and they challenged me, and they pushed me. I don't know about you. I need that in my life, and I want that. And those people oftentimes Tell me the things that I don't want to hear sometimes. But you know what? When I go back and I pray about it and I realize that's what I needed to hear. That's what I needed to hear. Verse 14 says this. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help uh, cases of urgent need and not be 
um, fruitful. So Paul ends his letter to Titus here. There's one more verse, but he's ending it. Um, he's like a preacher, you know, so he's got to end a couple of times before he actually gets to his ending. And uh, he's ending it here. He ends this letter to Titus with the theme of the book, good works. You know, how are you going to know you have good works? By the fruit you bear. That's it. And he gives them a practical way to do this by, by meeting the needs of other people. So simple but profound. You want to do good works? Meet someone's need. That's it. I mean, how much more simple could it be? And, and, and I don't know about you. I overcomplicate things at my times, and it's really not that hard. Um, another, another way to look at this is to maintain good works. Uh, another, or another way that you can translate that is to pos possess an honest trade, an honest trade. And what do you mean by that? By, by what you do. In other words, the men with Titus... Uh, who he was ministering to were to be those who had the ability to support themselves by the work of their hands in order that they wouldn't be a burden financially. All right, it's going to get quiet in here on this one. By the works of your hand, by an honest trade. So they were able, because these men and, and, and people were able to, to do jobs, they were able to make money, and they were able to do good works. They were able to bless people because they, they had this money coming in, right? So good works is seeing the needs and meeting the needs of people. Sometimes we can do that by the work of our hands. So that your job, don't think of it as just a way to, a means to survive and to live, but think of it as, hey, God, if you're blessing me, how can I bless other people? How can I be a blessing to someone? Maybe maybe you don't have much. Do do what you can. Just bless how you can bless. Verse 15 says this. Everyone say, we're at the end. All who are, are with me uh, send greetings to you. Greet those who love you, uh, who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. So um, thanks to Paul's letter here to Titus, little three chapters. I think there's 64 uh, verses. We have just completed Doctrine 101 of Good Works. Uh, practical things we need, we need to do and things that we can uh, think through, things that we can pray in, and things that we can remind one another of. I want to suggest to you to go through Paul's list again. And I, I'll, I'll, I mean, if you weren't here for the first... Uh, two chapters. I'll, I'll give you a, a quick little synopsis here. Um, if you're an older man in, in chapter 2, look at verses 1 and 2 where Paul addressed the older men on, on, on how to be, be an effective mentor to, to younger men. And if you're an older woman, look at chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, where Paul addressed the older women, how to be an effective mentor to younger people. And to bless them and, and read verses concerning you, you and I. And the next portion talks about being, being a young man or a, a servant, serving others. Say, I'm not old. I'm not an old man. I'm not an old woman. So what does that make me? You're a servant. And he addresses servants on what we should do. You know, um, servants live with a submissive heart. They do it because they, they love, love those who they serve. And as you do, begin to end your study with, with the way that Paul ends this letter. He begins and he ends it with, with uh, not with determination or discipline or worth, work ethic or willpower, 
Paul's letter to Titus begins with grace, and it ends with grace. It's super simple. And what is God's grace? It is God's undeserved, unearned, unmerited favor poured out upon you. I love, I love that word grace. And I was telling Tristan as we were going to that funeral um, this last week, and I began to think about that what grace meant, and I spoke about the grace of God at this funeral, and I spoke about the peace of God, and as I was discussing with the family and talking to the family, I, God's grace and peace, Paul often coupled those two together, they all often go hand in hand, and I was, I was reminded that in Luke chapter 23, verses 42, 43, it says, thief on the cross, and one thief on one side is yelling at Jesus, mocking him, making fun of him and telling him, hey, if you're the son of God, help us here. And then on the other side is this other thief and who, who, who looks over at Jesus and says, says basically, Lord, remember me. He didn't know what else to say. Three words, remember me, Lord. Remember me, Lord, today. And as, as, he, as he said those words, Jesus looked at him and, and in with, you know, with the only way that Jesus could with grace, says, hey, today you'll be with me in paradise. And, and so, and then he gives him grace, and then he gives him peace. And so maybe in your life today, I mean, and maybe that's, maybe that's what we need to hear. Maybe you're struggling with, with the grace of God. Maybe you're wrestling with the grace. How, why do I deserve grace? It's nothing that you deserve. It's just what God gives us, the undeserved, unearned, unmerited favor that God gives you. Will you bow your heads with me? Uh, Lord, Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for your grace and mercy. And God, there are so many rich things in your word. God, this little book penned by Paul to Titus, God, has a lot of rich, richness to it, God. It's encouragement even to this young pastor right here speaking tonight. God, can we be reminded of your of your grace and mercy as we walk this this Christian journey. God, when the road gets tough, when things get difficult, God, may we, may we be reminded of the grace that you've given us. It's so powerful. It's so powerful, God, your grace mercy over us God it's not my good works that saved me but it's by your grace and mercy that good works can come from me it's by your grace and mercy Lord that you sustained me God Lord that you've helped maybe people keep their jobs in the middle of a pandemic God, we could quarrel, we could fight over a lot of things. But God, I pray tonight that the main thing would be the main thing. And that's you, Jesus Christ. <laughs> with all your heads bowed and all your eyes closed, if you'll just bear with me just a few moments here. Can we just take a few moments? I won't, we won't be long. 
take just a few moments right where you're at. I want you to just begin to thank the Lord for his grace and mercy, how he's kept you, how he's sustained you, unmerited, unearned, favor of God over your life. Many of you wouldn't be here today if it hadn't been for God's provision and hand over your life. Many of you are walking testaments over chronic illnesses because of the grace of God. Many of you are sustained because of the grace of God over your life. Just take a moment to think about that grace. to be praised. God, help us. God, as a people, Lord, your people, representatives of you, Lord, to bear fruit of good works. God, help us to pray for those who may be tempted to talk about. Help us to love on those who are undeserving of love because you loved us first. God, help us to be your hands and feet. God, in this dark and divisive time, God, I pray, Lord, that we would be you. Just you. Just, God, use us. God, to a lost and dying world that people would see Jesus Christ. Not that we're perfect because there's no way none of us are perfect. But God, your work through us, people will see that you've been good to us, Lord, that you've sustained us, God, that many will believe because of how good, how good of a God you've been. God, I, I pray, Lord, that our testimonies, God, each and every one of us have a testimony, Lord, would go forth, God, to a lost and dying world. We all have opportunities. God, I pray, Lord, that those opportunities would be opened up. God, Lord, that your kingdom would be built, not for our glory, but for your glory. God, it's, it's not us. It's all about you, God. God, your kingdom come. Your will be done in our lives. 